Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox. Welcome to Space the Nation. You know, I have to suppress a giggle every time someone says Mother <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner. And much like The Flash, I'm Jewish and slightly uncoordinated. That is canon now. <laughs> so, Dan, we're almost at 100 patrons, I believe, at this count, 96. Mm-hmm. And we did promise mm-hmm. that... If and when we get to 100 patrons, we will do a special patron-only episode. And this would be for all patrons, including the people who just, out of the goodness of their hearts, only give us $3 a month and really don't get any benefits. <laughs> but they would get this episode. Yes, which I would describe as a benefit. That is a clear benefit. That is true. Also, they are able to suggest things in our suggestion form, which we now have on the Patreon website, if you look, there is a post that says something about a suggestion box. You'll find it. You're smart, people. You download podcasts. And if you're a patron, you can click through and there's a spreadsheet for you to suggest things. I imagine, Dan, one of those suggestions will be what we do that patrons-only podcast. I look forward to this. Also, our next AMA is April 3rd. Uh, you can pre-register for that. I think I can safely say that I enjoyed it a great deal more than perhaps I might have expected ex-ante. Anna, I really should <laughs> I enjoyed say that. it as well. Yeah. <laughs> and it is probable that we will have fewer technical difficulties this time. I am not going to say I can promise anything, but I suspect we will have fewer technical difficulties. So tune in. Dan, we are talking about... The Zack Snyder Cut Hold on. of Justice League. Boom, boom. <laughs> I feel like you can't say Snyder Cut without having boom, boom, some sort of, you know, deep bass profundo kind of soundtrack along with it. And also people listening can't see this, but I'm kind of walking in slow motion up to the <laughs> microphone <laughs> with a cape billowing behind me. Yes. We decided to do this as sort of an emergency episode because... You know, sometimes we like to talk about what everyone is talking about. But Dan, you have some other reasons that you wanted to do this. I I do have a couple of them. Um, The first is just simply, why not? Because as as Anna said, this is what everyone has been talking about this week. And so it seemed appropriate to record. More importantly, I think we are still living in the middle of a pandemic. We can see the end of it. But like, you know, all of us are still pretty kind of housebound. And this might be the only time in our lives when we will think, why, yes, what I want to see is the auteur version of the superhero (laughs) movie. I don't want to see the theatrical commercial cut of the superhero movie. I want to see the artist's singular vision of what the superhero movie is going to look like. The four-hour version. The four-hour version. And two minutes. (laughs) But also, weirdly, you know... We aren't probably going to be talking too much about superheroes from this podcast more generally, but this is one where I do think the superhero genre and the sci-fi genre actually converge. And in some ways, that's the most interesting part, I think, of, of some of Zack Snyder's work is the the sort of alien aspect of it in terms of thinking about superheroes. Anna, you had some additional thoughts, though? I just wanted to get out of the way our acknowledgement that Ezra Miller, who plays The Flash, had a incident Uh, This past year where he was filmed choking a woman. There is film, so there's not a lot to argue about. The incident seems to have passed out of memory. I suspect if there's anything else that happens, we will hear about it. And we shall have a discussion about Ezra Miller. Not Dan and me, but like the culture at large. We'll have a discussion. Yeah, I think Dan and I might too. Well, who knows? Who knows? Um... But probably not for this podcast. Exactly, yes. Just wanted to acknowledge that so that people know that we know. 
Dan, would you like to share a little bit of the story behind the story? I would be happy to. And, you know, let's acknowledge that this is going to be a five-hour podcast um, because (laughs) there really could be a four-hour podcast about the story behind the Snyder Cut. Uh, But I will try to give the theatrical release version of it. Um, (laughs) So you have to go all the way back to like 2012 in which DC and Warner is dealing with the success of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and also the end of Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. They decided to start up the DCEU, the uh, DC Expanded Universe, essentially as a competitor to the MCU, and hired Zack Snyder uh, to direct Man of Steel, and then subsequently Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. (laughs) That's how I'm going to say it from now on. The first film, which was Man of Steel, did okay commercially and critically. It wasn't uh, a Marvel-level huge blockbuster hit. It also did not do awfully, I would add, in either uh, front. On the other hand, Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, was critically drubbed, and for very good reasons, which is that the theatrical cut made very little sense, and at least in my experience, was kind of like watching an extended trailer. And I'm not kidding when I think when I say that my son, I think, has never forgiven me for taking him to that theater theatrical version. So, you know, I'm, I'm just saying there were there are real costs to these sort of superhero movies. It did set up, however, Justice League, uh, which was the natural next movie. Snyder shot the film, but the studio was already relatively wary because Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, did not do terribly well um, in in terms of uh, the box office release as well as the, the, the sort of critics. And so they had a variety of babysitters on the set, which is not Terrifically shocking, given the way that studios act. Also, his first screening of the film to studio execs did not go well, as Warner Brothers kind of wanted a movie that was, first of all, under two hours, and second of all, had a little more sort of Marvel-esque touch to it in terms of light humor, whereas what Snyder was doing could best be described as grimdark. All of this is going on, and then genuine tragedy struck, which is that Snyder's 20-year-old daughter, Autumn, committed suicide uh, during the midst of all this. Snyder, reeling and tired of fighting the studio, and obviously and understandably wanting to focus very much on his family, decided to pull back. Joss Whedon, who was is known for directing some of the Marvel films and was doing some script doctoring for Justice League, was announced as the director. Under orders from the studio, and we don't really know the extent to which Whedon himself wanted to do this or not, and and was under orders from the studio, uh, did rewrite and reshoot about 75% of the film. And I will say that if you watch the theatrical cut of Justice League and then watch the Snyder version, even though the broad contours of the plot are pretty similar, there is not a lot that is similar in terms of what is actually shot. Chris Nolan and Deborah Snyder, uh, who is Zack Snyder's wife, and Chris Nolan, who were producers of the movie, saw the Whedon cut and have vowed to make sure Snyder never sees it because it would <laughs> represented an affront to him. The 2017 uh, theatrical release was a serious dud. There were complaints from multiple cast members, most prominently, I think, Ray Fisher, who plays Cyborg, who justifiably complained, as we you see in the Snyder Cut, that most of what he did was sort of cut from the, the movie. In the Snyder Cut, Cyborg has a legitimate narrative arc that does not really appear in, in Whedon's version. Somewhat more amusingly, in the reshoots, they had to have Henry Cavill come back, but Cavill ha- was busy shooting... Um, the Mission Impossible movie where he has a mustache. And so therefore, they CGI'd Cavill's mustache out of the the reshoot. It does not look good. There's just no other way to put this. I I, I just want to comment on that, which is, wouldn't it have been easier for him to have a fake mustache in the Mission Impossible movies and shaved for the Justice League? I'm not disagreeing with that, but I I, I, I have to say, I do... 
I wish I could see the correspondence over the mustache. Like, is there is it was there a case where like one of the studios says, "No, we control the rights to the mustache" or something? I don't. Know. Yeah, or yeah, where he signed away like yeah. I did his rights to be able to shave properly. Right. Exactly. Maybe I don't know. Anyway, yes, that was a very. I remember the hubbub about that, yes. and it was amusing. So on social media, after the commercial and critical flop of the theatrical release of Justice League, there were a lot of calls for the Snyder cut, namely the idea that Zack Snyder had shot his own version of the film and apparently uh, had it on his laptop. In the end, as calls for the Snyder cut continued, and I'm going to point out that while Zack Snyder himself is not responsible for any of this, a lot of the sort of social media calling for the Snyder cut was very nasty and and not very nice to a lot of people. And again, to Snyder's credit, he has disowned all of that and, and in no way should be blamed for that. Nonetheless, during these pandemic times, Warner's decided to give him $70 million to essentially do a f- couple of minor reshoots last year, as well as to actually add all the special effects to his version of the movie. Uh, and it the only reason this movie exists is because of HBO Max, basically, which is this was new content that could be provided to HBO Max. And all of us who are housebound can therefore watch it. Although I guarantee that if you put it on your television, you are going to be annoyed as fuck when you first turn it on because it is in 4-3 aspect ratio (laughs) to honor Snyder's directorial vision. To be fair, I think he... 4.3 4.3 is what you shoot if you're shooting in IMAX. If this was actually in a theater, I suspect it would obviously be a much larger uh, and more impressive demonstration. But on the television, it's shot in 4.3, which makes it look like an old television show. It would take truly another four-hour podcast to describe all the differences between this version and uh, Whedon's cut, and we are not going to do that here <laughs> because there, there are there are websites for that, and I encourage you to look at those. And and to be fair, there are significant differences, and I, I don't mean to trivialize that, but we want to actually get into the movie rather than talk about the differences per se. I just wanted to add that the death of his daughter, I think, adds a layer to this movie that obviously could not have been intended originally, mm-hmm. but. Two of the main characters are basically children, right? Two of the heroes, Flash and Cyborg, are in their early 20s at best and have strained relationships with their fathers. (laughs) And the whole movie will get to themes and whatnot, (laughs) but the whole movie has a lot to do with, with... fractured relationships yeah i would say and how to how to mend them flash and cyborg are not unique in this movie about of of characters who have strained relationships with their fathers that is this is true i just think it's one thing i kept thinking again we'll get into it but uh, cyborg and flash or barry and victor Yes. Yeah, that's it. One thing I do appreciate about this movie is they all call each other by their given names, which for some reason <laughs> cracks me up a little bit. Like when they call Aquaman Arthur. Yes. Like, <laughs> he's just, he, he's Aquaman, but I guess that would be weird to call him yeah. that. I kept thinking throughout the movie about how young, especially Victor, yeah. seems. Well, I mean, he really lived, I more, think he, he, I mean, he's not in his early 20s. I think he's like in high school or had just graduated. No, he's in, he's wears, yeah, he may have just graduated, but he wears a Gotham City University oh, okay. jersey. Oh, is it a college so game think, that he does that in? Okay, that's yeah, right. Yeah, he was yes. a college okay, game. That's fair. So, okay. But I think he looks really young. Yeah. <laughs> and he's still living at home. So. Yes. Anyway, they're two very young people as heroes in this movie. And, you know. Obviously, could not have been intended, but if you know this about the movie, I mm-hmm. think it will shift your perspective on it a little bit to consider 
what has happened. I will add that one of the more, <laughs> weirdly, uh, we're going to talk a lot about Zack Snyder as a visual stylist, but actually the most affecting shot of this entire film for me is, uh, it's almost blink and you miss it, but there's a scene where Batman and Flash are finally driving off in Batman's car, and there is a large billboard showing the suicide hotline, and clearly that was added during the Snyder cut, and I, I found that very yeah. affecting. We will have to move on. Yeah. Dan, let's get into the actual movie. Okay, let's get to the plot. Uh, we will start. <laughs> Here we go. Everyone got, uh, yeah, everyone carbo load. Uh, everyone, you know, uh, uh, make sure you have fluids. Get comfy. Get comfy. Uh, we get a glass of water, yeah. but go take a bathroom break first. All right. You're back? Good. Go. Okay. Uh, act one, or as we call it, getting the band together. So we start with literally the moment uh, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, has ended, in which Superman is dead. Lois Lane and the rest of the world are grieving his loss, and there are dark forces coming to Earth. Batman, a.k.a. Bruce Wayne, uh, feeling that he owes a debt to Superman, vows to gather other metahumans, actually metahumans because he's not one, to defend the planet. These metahumans include, first, Wonder Woman, who has been busy foiling a suicide bombing in London and who had known Batman in the previous film. Second, Aquaman, a.k.a. Arthur Curry, who is resistant to Bruce Wayne's overtures at first. Cyborg, a.k.a. Victor Stone, who exists because of a car crash and his father's decision to use alien technology he does not understand at all to try to save him. Uh, This has left him with issues. And then finally, uh, The Flash, Barry Allen, who is Jewish, can't say that enough. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I am just very proud a superhero as a member of the tribe. Um, as a fellow Jew, this you know we don't we don't get this that often. And as you know, I'm sure our listeners are aware, Jews actually created a lot of these superheroes. Yes, I was going to say Superman, right? Yeah, Superman yeah. is definitely the most obvious. The uh, and and Stan Lee is also Jewish, so you know, like the idea that that superheroes are in some ways a creation of Jews. It's nice to see one actually, you know, represented. And Barry Allen, I don't normally think is portrayed as Jewish, so I kind of like this. Anyway, he is uh, Jewish. Socially awkward, and as he admits to Bruce, needs friends. While Batman is recruiting, uh, Superman's death has apparently reawakened the mother boxes. Pause for Anna giggling. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. These are boxes of enormous uh, and ancient power that combined produce the unity, which can apparently remake worlds. Uh, The boxes have stayed on Earth uh, after Darkseid tried to conquer the planet millennia ago, but was defeated by an alliance of Atlanteans, Amazons, and humans. The Amazon box wakes up and Darkseid's lieutenant, Steppenwolf, uh, arrives with a shitload of parademons to retrieve it, despite the Amazon's best efforts. Uh, And they're they're pretty good efforts, I gotta say. They, They really did proof a good fight. Steppenwolf also informs Darkseid that he has located the mother boxes and the anti-life equation, both of which are super important to Darkseid. So, Anna, if I have a pet peeve about this entire setup, and I think this took an hour, I, I'm not entirely sure, it's that apparently no one besides humans have made any technological progress since Darkseid's first invasion. So, first of all, I have never thought about how superhumans might have technological advances like <laughs> i guess i've always kind of thought of like the you know aqua people and the amazons they can do everything they want to be able to do right like basically like fly like go really fast you know what do they need technology for and then i realized they might need television but they don't have television <laughs> as far as i know like what civilization doesn't need television 
right? This actually or calls podcasts. back to our Galaxy Quest episode. Yeah, you know? that is correct. Yeah. Right. So I think it's interesting. I mean, I think. In, in my somewhat honest answer is I think humans actually need technology in a way that superhumans don't. Hmm. Perhaps. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. Okay. I also am curious, you left out the gods as part of the fighting force that defeats Darkseid. I'm sorry, you're correct. <laughs> I, that, 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 <laughs> so I would say it's the greater Amazonian, like the Amazons in the greater Amazonian universe, perhaps, would be the way to put it. But what happened to them? I mean, I guess, like, Marvel actually has, you know, sort of an explanation about what happened to the gods, or, like, gods exist in part of the, the metaverse, mm-hmm. right? But, like, in the version of the Darkseid battle that Wonder Woman tells, which goes on a bit, by the way... <laughs> Um, I'm sorry. I want explicit- props from our listeners if that's the degree to which I have condensed a four-hour movie. Yes, 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 sorry, yes, yes, yes. But um, the gods are part of the fighting force yes. that rids the Earth of dark side. So, kind of just wondering, like, where are they now? Yeah. As also, is a Green a Lantern, of- by the way. Right, as a cameo from Green Lantern. Yeah. I think it is also in this section that we learn that Steppenwolf has his own estranged son backstory, mm-hmm. or at least, you know, father-like figure mm-hmm. um, in Darkseid that he's apparently disappointed in some way and really wants to get back in the good graces of. Yes. I always appreciate a backstory for a villain. I also will say that the introduction of Flash or Barry Allen is one of the most bizarre scenes I've seen maybe in any movie because it... <laughs> It is, <laughs> for those who are listening, you've already seen it, but there's a slow motion, very slow motion scene of Ezra Miller floating through space surrounded by floating hot dogs. And he grabs one at one point, too. It turns out that it's good. It's It, it was quick thinking on this remember, part. It, 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 but I was like, someone thought of this. Someone's like, we need to have him crash into a hot dog stand so that he can have a hot dog for the dogs. But of course we'll have to have him surrounded by floating hot dogs anyway it's a very odd scene um i also will say that um aquaman is my favorite of (laughs) all of the heroes why is that on might be because it's he's played by jason momoa i genuinely think the aquaman movie is good like it's good in the same way that the thor ragnarok Hmm. movie is it's like a little self-aware and explicitly funny Hmm. so I will say, I, the one thing I agree with you on, by the way, is that not I, I don't know if this was due to Snyder, but the casting of this movie is actually, I think, quite good, which is, and, and it's counterintuitive. Like, I've seen all the various iterations of Aquaman. Jason Momoa is not normally how you would picture Aquaman, but he brings something different to it. Barry Allen as Jewish is not something that we would ordinarily think of. And I will, you know, a lot of people did not like the Batfleck, as it were, given, you know, his in his previous incarnations. I actually think Ben Affleck does a pretty goddamn good job as Batman. Um, you weren't you weren't happy about Batfleck? You know, I feel like he is as Batman, it's but at least in this movie, he's like the sad Ben Affleck mm. meme. Like <laughs> he's so down. He's just so down the entire movie. And also the horse whispering thing did kind of grate on my nerves. We'll get to this in a bit, or this is something that in the Batman v Superman thing, it's made clear that that's not his actual voice, that there's like a little electronic thing that that makes him sound like that. And it's presumably supposed to be an effect. But I will say this, this is where I, you know, having seen the Whedon version of this and and this version, I think weirdly Batman does not do come off as well in this one. Whereas Mm. in the Whedon one... Part of the, and, and we'll get to this in a little bit, but part of the, the strength of Batman as a character has always been that he is smarter than everyone else. 
Like, he doesn't have any superpowers, really. He's rich, which is, a, in, I guess, on, on Earth kind of important. But it is the notion that he is smarter and can outthink everyone. Um, and this comes through, I think, in the Whedon version because he actually has backup plans in that one, whereas that doesn't appear at all in the Snyder Cut. And I would imagine the, the I, I admitted to Dan as I was watching this movie, this says a lot about the, the theatrical cut yeah. that I did see some of it on a plane and promptly forgot the whole thing. <laughs> but <laughs> I do imagine like, you know, Joss Whedon, for all of his many faults, yeah. does do dry humor really well. Mm-hmm. And it did occur to me that this movie could have used maybe a little leavening. Yeah. Like, just a little, especially for, for Batman, because he's a fucking downer, like, the entire <laughs> time, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, like, everyone else kind of gets to have, like, some moments of lightness, if not levity. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, I mean, he's tortured, I guess, so whatever. We can move on to Act 2 Sure. Now. Let's move on to Act 2, or as I like to call it, the soft opening. In search of other mother boxes, Steppenwolf sends parademons to kidnap Cyborg's father and other Star Labs employees who are busy investigating Superman's ship. The Justice League, but don't call them that, uh, figures out that they are being held on an island between Metropolis and Gotham, after which point there is battle. I am not going to go into the minutia of the battle. Our crew does not do great, but not horribly. At least uh, Aquaman has joined them after some brooding. Victor produces a mother box, uh, which he explains is responsible for his transformation into Cyborg, and the team at that point realizes they can potentially use the mother box in combination with Kryptonian tech to revive Superman because that went so well the last time someone tried it. Mm. The reason I bring this up is that in Batman v Superman, when they try to revive something else, it turns into Doomsday, which is not really uh, turns into supervillain. Superman is revived in this effort, but Zombie Soups is a bit confused. Cyborg's defenses kick in, uh, and Kal-El wipes the floor with the rest of the Justice League. He is about to kill Batman when Lois Lane shows up on her morning grief walk to Superman's site of memory. Superman stops, grabs her, and decides to commute to Smallville for some reason. In all of the hubbub! Steppenwolf has been busy uh, taking the Atlantean mother box and just as the fight with Superman is ended, shows up and grabs the third mother box. He kills Cyborg's father in the process, but not before Silas Stone has been able to mark the box in a way that will allow the Justice League, but don't call them that yet, to track it. Anna, every iteration of the DC Justice League has to answer the really super important question of just how much more powerful Superman is than anyone else. And Snyder's answer seems pretty clear, yes? Oh, oh yes. Um, I want to point out one thing, though, yep. in your uh, rundown, Ooh, which is that Cyborg's father kills himself. Important to the story. Yes, yes sorry. At least I'm... to Victor's kind of personal arc. Right. That he goes into some, the thing that's going to awaken the mother box or superheat it and knows that if he turns it on, he'll be gone and... He is, he is gone. No, Silas sacrifices Although, course, himself. Pro- yes, that's correct. Sorry. Right. So the proximate cause is uh, Steppenwolf. Anyway, so many questions about what happens when you <laughs> revive Superman. 
maybe the most important one is what the fuck did they go to Smallville for? Like, it's like they have all the time in the world. Like, let's take a little ride. Like, go back. Visit your hometown. What is this? The Bachelor? Like, he's got issues. Okay. He was dead. He is no longer dead. You know, that, that, you need a little bit of processing. And I guess the Kryptonians can't do super processing quickly. Okay. That's all I'm saying. And, and also, why would you, as someone awakening from what I don't know what it would be like to awaken from the dead, but presumably he has a touch of amnesia, why would you suddenly turn violent and, and, and like unreasonable? They keep trying to talk to him and he just keeps like using his laser eyes on them <laughs> until Lois Lane comes up. So I'm like, what what exactly is wrong with okay, him? First off, it's heat vision. Finally. It's not laser eyes. I am, I'm almost going to stop this podcast Apology. right now. Okay. Let's but but I, it is true. My DC, I am, I am not a DC girl. I'm a Marvel girl. But so. I, I, I will say this. Everything that happens in Smallville is slightly confusing because I didn't, I lied at this point, but of course to revive Superman, they have to go get Superman's body, which means there is this very brief moment where even though they've been in Metropolis the whole time, they suddenly go to Smallville to dig up the, the, you know, the body and... What is the commuting time between Smallville and Metropolis? I kind of am curious about this because, like, it seems like it, it takes well, no time it, at all. It's but. Flash and Vic. Well, it's Flash and Cyborg who presumably can get there, like, pretty fucking no, fast. No, no, anyway, no, but we see, all we see of the Aqu- things. We see them so in a car. All, <laughs> but seriously, yeah. of all of the weird, like, continuity errors in this movie, mm-hmm. that's not one that bothered me. It bothered me that... Steppenwolf has the three mother boxes, and this is when Superman chooses to go down memory lane. (laughs) I I don't quite understand. The other thing I don't understand is how come he has pants on when he's revived, but not a shirt. (laughs) Like, if he's gonna have clothes on, why not the shirt? And if he's not gonna have clothes on, why does he not have, why does he have any clothes on? Why and also didn't he have clothes on that he was buried in? He did. Are those the pants he was buried in? I I kind of. But then why didn't the shirt revive with him? Like. (laughs) <laughs> Do not get me wrong. If you have to look at someone's torso, it is a lovely torso to observe. Henry Cavill is putting some good work. Let's just let's just give him yes. some credit here. And the last thing I'm going to say is this is maybe when I sort of missed a Joss Whedon touch, which is when they're all like sitting around and uh, Cyborg tells them that the mother box is capable of reorganizing matter into what it was, like basically going against entropy, I guess. Mm-hmm. Flash says something like, I know we're all thinking it. I, I honestly was like, what? Like, what? You're waiting for <laughs> like, the ba I was waiting for the ba And also, like, they don't almost set it up enough that they miss super, like, obviously Lois Lane misses Superman, but it's not really set up that, like, they're desperate to have Superman with them. Mm-hmm. You know, like, they're doing okay against Steppenwolf. Not great, but okay and so it's just an odd little moment both a moment that could have had some levity and a moment where i was like really is that what they're all thinking that's the first thing you go to and also it's not clear that never mind i could go on like i said there's sort of like to me there's just jumps in logic in this movie that kind of bother me but maybe we, we the, still i'm sure the five-hour version <laughs> would put all of your logic concerns <laughs> to rest on it i kept thinking this is a four-hour movie and i still feel like pieces are missing <laughs> so <laughs> You know, maybe maybe the, the, he'll get another seventy million. We'll get a, we'll get an eight hour version. There we go. But moving on to Act Three, let's go to Act Three: Vanquishing the Big Bad. 
While Superman is off to find himself, the Justice League crew locate where Steppenwolf is holed up. Their plan is to battle him and allow Victor to interface with the boxes to prevent their unity. They arrive at this place, which is an abandoned Russian nuclear reactor, which I assume is designed to evoke Chernobyl. There is battle. Superman finds himself, decides to visit Wayne Manor. Alfred tells him where the gang is. There is yet more battle. Victor fails at presenting the unity, and it looks like everything is lost, uh, but the Flash runs fast. I mean really, 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 really fast, helping to reverse time and thereby giving Cyborg the necessary electrical jumpstart to separate the mother boxes. While he is in there, he is, like, tempted to, like, think that he can somehow return back to uh, his prior life. He decides that's not what he's going to do, and he manages to separate the mother boxes. Meanwhile, Superman shows up and is not impressed at all with Steppenwolf managing to pummel him and, I believe, separate one of his horns. A portal opens between Apocalypse and Earth just in time for Darkseid to see the Justice League pummel the shit out of Steppenwolf and send him back to Apocalypse in two pieces, I believe. The nice uh, move by Wonder Woman at the end to behead him. Darkseid decides they will go to Earth the old-fashioned way of flying there. So, in the coda to the movie, now that uh, the great big bad has been defeated, the Justice League will apparently be housed in Wayne Manor uh, with room for more. We learn... That the Secretary of Defense, I think the Secretary of Defense, this is another continuity question in terms of what Harry Lennox is actually playing, because sometimes he's a uniformed general, sometimes he's the Secretary of Defense. I have questions about this in terms of civil military issues, but nonetheless, he is apparently Martian Manhunter, uh, and he wants to join the club. Lex Luthor has escaped. Arkham Asylum uh, meets up with Deathstroke uh, and plans bad things with him. Meanwhile, Bruce has yet another so-called nightmare, K-N-I-G-H-T-M-A-R-E, that hints at what the future would have been like, a future in which Lois Lane is dead, Wonder Woman dead, Aquaman dead, capes are in, and Superman is bad. Oh, and also the Joker is shitposting a lot and just generally baiting Batman. Oh, and finally, uh, we end knowing that Clark is apparently going to be a dad because Lois Lane is pregnant. And I have to say, I do love that we know this because at one point, Lois opens up a drawer and we literally see a pregnancy kit entitled Force Majeure, which in terms of wit, (laughs) I will grant Zack Snyder that that was funny. Anna, apparently Zack had had planned on two more films after this, one in which Darkseid obviously conquers Earth and one in which the Justice League counterattacks. Would you have wanted to see these films? Because these are clearly not going to happen now. I do not know. I mean, I am kind of a sucker for superhero movies in general, although I did stay away from uh, Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman because they were not reviewed particularly well. (laughs) And they just... You know, I grew up in the 80s and 90s for the original dark and gritty reboots Mm. of Batman, and I kind of... It is funny to think of Tim Burton now as a dark and gritty reboot, because you're right, we're old enough and it was painted as that then. But if you compare, like, Tim Burton's Batman with, let's say, Christopher Nolan's Batman, Tim Burton's Batman is kind of goofy. Well, also, like, I saw the Chris Nolan Batmans, and they're pretty good, you know? Like, and they are darker and grittier. And I just also, I mean, it is troublesome that given four hours, Zack Snyder still can't make the exposition in this movie consistent. (laughs) Like, there is some plot that you are spoon-fed in a way that is almost annoying. And for instance, I would say Wonder Woman's recitation of the battle, original battle against Darkseid, like, takes a while. (laughs) Like, (laughs) 
it's almost they redo the battle like in real time basically you also get cyborg's origin story really telegraphed to you now Part of me is like, yay, like black superhero. Good for Ray Fisher. Good for Ray Fisher. Love to give him some screen time, but it's really kind of beating, you get beat over the head a bit, like with what his origin story is. And then there's this parts of the movie where there's no origin story. There's no, there's no exposition. And you're just left to wonder what the fuck was that? Like the Martian (laughs) Manhunter thing. Like I was like, who is that? Like what happened? Who, where, and why would you go visit Lois? And then I kept waiting for the payoff of like, there's a reason like and also it doesn't seem to change her behavior (laughs) like i mean i guess she's getting ready to go to to work but she still goes to visit the superman memorial which is lucky for the entire plot because if she had not done that superman would have killed everyone and it would have been a very different movie so if she had done the whole like you need to start living again and not gone one back back one last time that would have you know been very bad yeah, the Martian Manhunter thing is like probably my, the one that I was the most confused by. Uh, I did really like Bruce's pad, that mm. like place where he so, is. Where... I will add that this part of the reason I have these issues is that I did watch Man of Steel and Batman v Superman because, yes, they were not incredibly well critically reviewed, but Amy Adams is in them, and I will watch anything Amy Adams is in. Just a general rule, and she's actually good in Man of Steel, like, legitimately good um and you should watch it anna because as a reporter i would be curious about your take about anna's portrayal of, <laughs> or, or i would be take about amy's well, portrayal as a reporter yes. a fellow redhead so yes, yes i'm i am sympathetic to her as well right. i like to i like to see her and we will be doing a, I now i know why we're doing a rival there That's, we go i want to continue a little bit yeah. here I, i'll condense everything i think i'll try which is the anti-life equation still here on earth mm-hmm. how come it didn't destroy earth since it apparently is embedded into the like earth's crust and also it's clear that they don't remember that's where they left the anti-life <laughs> equation Anna, like, you have missed, like, i'm sure you misplaced your car keys okay i don't want to hear this all right don't you pick on dark side like this all right we have all it's misplaced just seems some odd shit. that it, apparently it's the only time he's ever been defeated mm-hmm. and he's like what was that planet god tip of my tongue <laughs> You know? That's actually the, no. So anyway, this is what I mean about the tech thing. Like it was, it was bizarre to me that it was going to take everything possible to defeat him now, when apparently they were able to do it three thousand years ago with just you know much with cruder. Gods. Yes, that was the secret that they had. The gods. I guess they had the which, gods. You know, yeah, okay. I guess Superman is our god. There we right? go. Uh, well, we'll and talk then about this. The yes. last thing I have to say mm-hmm. is speaking of Superman being a daddy. Yeah. There is a famous scene in Mallrats in which Jason Lee's character <laughs> hypothesizes that Superman would kill anyone he had sex with <laughs> from the power of his orgasm. <laughs> uh, and he further hypothesizes that Wonder Woman would be the only female on Earth that could possibly bear Superman's children because presumably she has a uterus of steel. So... That is what I could not help thinking of. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm not terrifically familiar with the DC uh, comic book universe, but I am quite certain that there are versions of it where Superman and, and Wonder Woman get it on. In fact, I'm pretty well, sure I've seen cover art suggesting that. Yes. And if it doesn't exist in the real DC universe, it exists somewhere on the Internet as there most we go. kinds of porn do. Yeah. All right, Dan, we have done... The plot of the movie. So we only have a couple more things we need to talk about. And one of them is, Dan. Anna. Is there IR in this movie? 
Anna, there's a little IR in this movie. Uh, there's not a lot of it, but there's some, and I, I think it's worth discussing. There is just the good old-fashioned balancing behavior. We have talked about this before and multiple times, but the idea is that if there is a rising threat out there, other actors will band together to balance against that threat. And we certainly saw that in Ancient Earth when Darkseid showed up because you had Atlanteans, Amazons, gods, uh, and the tribes of men all forming a singular coalition to defeat Darkseid. That apparently does not happen that often given what we learn throughout the rest of the movie. So that is unusual. And in some ways you can argue that the entire arc of, of this movie is the idea that the superheroes on Earth will again bandwagon together, will not bandwagon together, will balance together to oppose the uh, the greater big bad. The second theme is that I'm just going to put this out there, that isolationism doesn't seem to work. <laughs> isolationism as a foreign policy is the notion that rather than try to engage in the world, that will lead to bad things. That will lead to trigger security dilemmas or cause others to fear you. And so the solution, therefore, is to pursue a policy of isolation, which indicates you are no longer a threat to anyone else, and presumably no one else will therefore bother you. Now, to be fair, it does seem to work for the Amazons and the Atlanteans for quite some time, as they were able to live presumably undisturbed. But nonetheless, they can't stop Steppenwolf. And this actually becomes a bit of a problem. Indeed, in the case of the Amazons, they are not even sure they can signal to anyone the dark side is back. They have to rely on the air of Artemis and pray to God that if it wasn't for Diana, who is now out in the real world, they wouldn't otherwise know. So maybe strict isolationism, not the way to go. So I have a comment on isolationism, and it's just two things. One, they never make clear what caused the isolationism to begin with. Mm -hmm. Like, why weren't all the people, beings on Earth working together? Like, what was the grudges that they had against each other that took the threat of dark side to bring them together? Like, it's not clear mm -hmm. at all. They should have been working together this whole time. <laughs> and also, though, the th there is a very unsubtle theme in the movie of how great it is to work together. Right. It turns out they don't actually really need to. They just need Superman. Like, yes. <laughs> that is true, and that is something that bugs the shit out of me. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. We're going to talk about that, actually, I believe, right now. Yes, Dan, we are in the themes and quotes section. Would you like to lead us off? I will be happy to lead us off. The first theme, and again, this ain't subtle. I mean, it's a superhero movie, to be fair. So, you know, themes are not necessarily all that subtle, and I'm not going to belabor it. But, but the obvious theme is broken and rebuilt families. I believe we were stronger together. We owe it to him. I'm not broken. So, yeah, you know, this is, is not really rocket science, but literally every major superhero, every major character that's a superhero on this in this movie, uh, it would be safe to say comes from a broken family or comes from a family with severe scar tissue. And so in, in some ways, the idea that they form you know, a, a unity of their own, as it were, is in fact... Uh, a family of choice. There we go. Uh, the, which is a nice thing, yes. But, you know, it's nice to see. I think the more interesting theme, however, and it's a theme that I simultaneously am impressed with how Snyder does it, and I also find very irritating, is Superman as, for lack of a better of putting it, the hegemon. There are six, not five. There's no us without him. I really do think Snyder's unique contribution to the superhero film genre, as we understand it, is that 
in contrast to every prior iteration, whether it's animated or, or film version, Snyder shows how utterly terrifying it would actually be to have Superman exist. And Anna's looking at me in a slightly puzzled way right now, and I think the reason <laughs> is, to be fair, where he showed this was in Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. Mm-hmm. Um, we see what happens when Superman actually battles another Kryptonian in Man of Steel. That He fights General Zod in the end of that film, and literally most of Metropolis goes to pieces as a result of that. And similarly with Batman v Superman, at the best part of anything Zack Snyder has done, in my opinion, is actually the beginning of that movie, which otherwise is awful. But it actually shows Bruce Wayne reacting to Metropolis being destroyed, and he's trying to make his way into the, the city in order to rescue his his own uh, people that work for his corporation. And it shows the legitimately awe-inspiring fear that like a Kryptonian with those kinds of powers, the way in which they could destroy everything. And it helps to explain how this movie goes in terms of they decide they want to revive Superman. They revive Superman. Superman clubs all of them and would have killed all of them if he had had the opportunity to, but finally comes to his senses and literally when he shows up in the final battle boom five minutes and that's it i mean no one else needed to do anything and so there is some way in which this is where i guess i'm a marvel fan more than than a dc fan or at least snyder's version of dc universe because superman by being as powerful as he is renders everything else unimportant and I confess that as a human without Kryptonian, you know, who's, who's not a Kryptonian, I find this unsettling. I mean, that's an interesting IR point, yeah. really. And I think that a lot of superhero texts do take into consideration the fact that if these beings were real, mm-hmm. it would be terrifying. Right. I mean, that's that's X-Men takes that into account to a certain extent, the Marvel Universe, the Watchmen series. Mm. If people had these kinds of powers, it would be scary because it's it's a world ending. Because yeah. we see, like with Superman, if he's in a bad mood, apparently, like <laughs> you know, or wakes up from the dead and is grumpy about it. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you wake up on the wrong side of the cemetery, Superman. <laughs> um, anyway, I think that that is a really cool thing to explore, mm-hmm. and I don't know exactly what Zack Snyder's view is. I mean, I guess he is just sort of saying it's terrifying. No, I disagree. His view is very clear, which is in his mind, Superman is a god. And that is how he is depicted throughout all these movies. And this is where... It is true. He does a bunch of Jesus posing. And and it's not just Jesus posing. He's literally resurrected. You know... That's true. I mean, I just meant like there's a bunch of scenes of him like being floating. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, Zack Snyder... This is where I will defend Zack Snyder because a lot of people criticized him, particularly from the first movie because it ends with Superman killing General Zod, which is generally not how he's thought of as doing. But I actually like the idea of sort of going with that kind of vision of Superman. I, I respect that. And it's, it is an interesting way to go about things. I think the unanticipated effect of it, though, is that because he is that powerful, nothing else matters. See, that's sort of the part where I feel like I'm not sure Zack Snyder's like thought through yeah. <laughs> what he really is trying to say. Right. Like, yes, he believes Superman to be a god, but and, and that that can be a little bit scary of power in the wrong hands or whatever. Mm-hmm. But and, and to be fair, like this is not what the DC universe is built to explore. Right. But the idea that if things went another way, this brings us back to the epilogue, because what I thought the epilogue represented wasn't like an alternate future, but the future. Right. Because 
when they are reviving Superman, I believe Cyborg gets a vision that's a whatever nightmare yeah. vision mm-hmm. of the same future. And, you know, usually in genre fiction, <laughs> when you awaken something from the dead, there is a cost. <laughs> yes. That is just like, that's canon. <laughs> You know, right? Like there is, there is always you, you. Man is not meant to play God, right? Like there's always going to be some unintended consequence. It's a metaphysical always. version of the second law of thermodynamics. For every action, there is an equal <laughs> reaction. Yes, right. So what I thought the epilogue was showing, which I think is maybe, I think is sort of interesting, mm-hmm. is that because they revive Superman, something in the future is going to turn him against earth and that earth that earth that is mm-hmm. um, ruled by dark side yeah. is something that happens because they revive superman it has to i guess although this is where counterfactuals get tricky because i think it would be safe to say had they not revived superman dark side would have won anyway he just would have won more quickly so this well i mean i don't know again the counterfactuals are are hard to play out here especially because and this actually kind of pissed me off Mm -hmm. that we're not going to see what this actually means Mm -hmm. and (laughs) i'm just a little pissed at him like he knows he's not making more movies (laughs) like why are you giving us this teaser trailer (laughs) you know (laughs) because it's the best of all worlds for snyder right to be fair like it is simultaneously it's an interesting image of the future you know, and and I would add, by the way, again, there are visions like this in the Batman v Superman movie mm-hmm. as well, and it was very weird in that movie. We don't know why we see that. So this does sort of, in some ways, part of the reason I think he put this in here was sort of connected to that and explain. But th- this is where I think defenders of Superman probably do have a mild point, which is I think where they're angry at Snyder is the notion that Superman would do this. And indeed, one of the the core elements of Superman is his fundamental decency um, as, you know, a Kansas-raised orphan. Which I would argue makes is truly what makes him Superman. Right. If he is truly that decent a person, that is almost inhuman. <laughs> like, to, some, to be someone who is not tempted yeah. um, by— Who is that uh, disciplined, you know, basically. Who is that disciplined, yeah. who is not tempted by power— and who does not crumble when in grief? Yeah. You know, we have to get to my themes now. No, please, please, please. Because I, yes. I, I really thought a lot about this. Good. I believe Zack Snyder's Justice League is a graphic PSA against distracted driving. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank God. Thank God. <laughs> I mean, you just saying you unearthed it, cracked the code. Okay. Um, if, for those who maybe have not seen this yet, I don't know why you're listening. But although we're very entertaining, of course you're listening. We're very charming. Yes. There are two. There are two big scenes where there's a, a crash because of distracted driving. Mm-hmm. I, that is not probably a theme of. of but only one movie. of those is in slow mo. To be fair, that is true. So true. I also was going to jokingly say that this is a movie about the power of rugged individualism, um, because in some ways, as we previously discussed. That is what it shows and not tells. Mm -hmm. Like it tells us over and over and over. It's about unity. It's about working together. But what it shows us Mm -hmm. is a single being being the difference between victory and defeat. So, but my real-ish observation that I think is maybe a somewhat intentional theme Mm -hmm. is that money is the ultimate superpower. What are your superpowers again? I'm rich. 
So obviously it's made explicit at one point mm-hmm. with that one quote. I would say the I'm real when it's useful quote <laughs> to me actually was about money and debt because these are things that are only real when we decide as a culture <laughs> that they are real. <laughs> like debt is just, you know, a collective, you know, agreement that debt exists. We could decide that debt doesn't exist at any time. If you've read the big, thick book, Debt, (laughs) you have heard this. And then I also think it's important that when Victor's father, Silas Mm -hmm. Stone, is describing to him all of his different superpowers, one of them is control over the banking system. And that is the one he uses right away. I think he flies. Oh, that's right. And then he uses it right away. That's right. Not for himself, so, but for a, a, I think, a poor right. couple yeah, or family. Yeah. Indeed. But it's not saying, it's just saying it's it's a, it's a superpower. And again, it's a superpower listed right up there with being able to fly. Mm-hmm. On it, let me just say so. I'm shocked yet again that you have somehow managed to bring this back to capitalism. <laughs> um, but, but that is a fair- it is, the, it is the air we breathe, Dan. It is, you know, permeated our entire culture. Mm-hmm. And I will fight it. <laughs> knowing I used to say to people that I feel in terms of my political beliefs that um, I'm like a Cubs fan <laughs> although the Cubs fucked that up by winning the World Series because I've always damn you Theo that Epstein my political, be- <laughs> that my political beliefs are never actually going to happen mm-hmm. but I kind of try to put up the good fight anyway there we go I think also we talked about the absent fathers yeah uh, it, very it's an obvious theme if, if you know we don't need to belabor the point you guys get it all right, let's do our debris field, um, flying through the little bits and bobs that we didn't get to earlier. Okay, uh, I have a few things, Anna. One of which is related to your point with respect to Superman being resurrected and suddenly he's only shirtless. I want to know, does Arthur Curry have an endless supply of shirts to rip off? Because we see him do it twice in this movie where he like decides to walk out to the water, takes off his shirt. Like, does, that, does someone come with those shirts? Do they get dry cleaned afterwards? You know, and also... Why only the shirt? Swimming with pants is hard. Okay, I know he's Aquaman, but swimming with pants is really hard. And unless it's like some sort of like, you know, resistance exercise that he's doing, I would think that you'd want to have like rip away pants as well as a shirt. I wouldn't mind that if they wanted to make that part of the the Aquaman. We could have that. Finally, we could have the Magic Mike trilogy. We've always always wanted. Um, I will say, again, as much as we're picking on, to some extent, or nitpicking on Snyder's film, I really did like Steppenwolf's reimagining. That if you take a look at the, just the CGI, the effects of how the the theatrical cut portrays Steppenwolf as opposed to what we see in the Snyder cut. In the Snyder cut, it's much more shiny and metallic, and it's much weirder and more alien. And I actually thought, thought that was good. And also... The soundtrack, which apparently Whedon relied on Danny Elfman for the soundtrack, whereas Snyder relied on Junkie XL, I think is the name of it. He's also the one who did uh, the Mad Max Fury Road soundtrack, which I fucking love. So this is this is a soundtrack that it will not surprise me if I am typing a column at some point in the future. And when I type that column, I will be destroying everything in my path <laughs> listening to this soundtrack. <laughs> I actually really liked Steppenwolf's visuals as well. That's something I kept thinking. Like every, It was almost distracting. Every time he was on, I was like, wow, that's a really cool visual. Yeah. But the little nitpicks I have left, a father entrusting the world's banking system and nuclear arsenal to his 20-year-old son <laughs> seems 
you have a college age son. Am I am I right? I Dan? do have a college age son. That's true. Would you would you give your son power over the world's banking system and nuclear arsenal? He's a good boy, um, <laughs> but I don't know if he's that good of a boy. Uh, yeah, it just you know. seems like it's it's fine. It works out. Yeah. Go go ahead. You've explained the horse whisper, so I will not dwell on that. I did, as I said up top, laugh a little bit every time <laughs> someone said mother box. The line that I actually had to stop the film and recover from was, I don't know, see if I can get this th- through this with a straight face. Do you want me to do it instead? Or? Please. Okay. You have been near a mother box. I smell it on you. <laughs> it just... <laughs> just... I was like, a woman did not get near this. Clearly. <laughs> Uh, okay. So uh, that would, did make the movie maybe a little more enjoyable for me than it would have been otherwise. Speaking of enjoyable, but kind of a, uh, cuts both ways, the arty shots in the movie. There were so many like arty shots with like a capital A, capital S, where I felt like Zack Snyder's like, this is my Artur version. There's some posing that made me wonder if like superheroes, do they just know they need to pose occasionally? Like when they're standing on top of like the nuclear reactor and they just like stand there for a while, like looking into the distance. It's, you know, I mean, fine. Look, all I will say is, is that, you know, in 2021, there is an advantage to Zack Snyder's method of filmmaking, which is you can multitask. Right. You're watching this film. You want to check Twitter. You're going to check Twitter for a second. Oh, that was a funny tweet. Did I miss anything? No, because it's in super slow motion and everyone's posing. So you can just keep going for another 10 seconds. You're not necessarily going to miss anything. It is a multi-screen experience. Yeah. The other thing is, of course, I believe there's already been trend pieces written. I watch almost everything with closed captioning on. I believe some filmmakers are starting to like use closed captioning a little bit, but I don't know if people were super aware of the closed captioning in this piece because one of the things that kept coming up and again i didn't actually have to stop the film but it made me laugh every time (laughs) was ancient lamentation music playing (laughs) which is the (laughs) i can't sing but like it's this sort of like vocal i'm not laughing i'm weeping right now (laughs) drilling That apparently is like the Amazon death dirge. Well, I don't know. There, like, was, a, there I, was some sort of Nordic dirge when when Aquaman first goes into the water. Right. There's that's like, an actual singing there's one. Actual but singing, then there's yeah. like this one that's the theme for the Amazons feeling serious. Oh, okay. All right. Where they kind of, oh. Sure. I don't know. Again, please forgive my ancient lamentation music version of that. I cannot quite do the ancient lamentation music. And then finally, this is a topic we may just have to devote an episode to, Dan, but it really made me wonder why evil doesn't win more. I mean, obviously, you mean in real life story. or in the, like, like in the, in the, well, kind of in, in, in our various fictional universes ah, okay. in a way. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a stupid question, but the big bads are so big. Like, hmm. I kind of like it when people toy around with what would happen if it if the superheroes were not enough hmm. you know if we put everything we had up against an alien race and we lost 
there are a lot of places that explore that the aftermath of that, right? Like there's the post-apocalyptic stuff, right? Or I would but, I would add the the MCU. I mean, I would say the Avengers. Well, yeah, that, that's why. Yeah, that's why I yeah like that Avengers arc. I mean, yeah. I think I legit cried. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> in uh, I guess. What's this? Inf- not I guess in game. Infinity War is the one where you Infinity where he, War. Where Thanos right. Infinity wins War is then. where the, what the, where the Thanos wins, yeah. and I legit like I had managed to save spoiler free, and I cried. Yeah. And it is also a, a way of subverting, you know, our very American notion that if we band together, if we do our best, we will win. And I I don't know. I got to thinking about it, and I guess I must thank Zack Snyder for for getting me some. I like this way. I think. This is a topic for a larger, much larger podcast. But probably its own podcast. Its own, like, probably, yeah. like, yeah, its own episode, why does yeah. evil win? And it would definitely also be perhaps in the religion section. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's really more of a theological, you know, query than it is about comedy. But I will say this. I mean, in some ways, you know, the, the larger meta debate we've been having over the last couple of years, you could argue, in terms of superhero movies, has been why was it that the Marvel Cinematic Universe was as successful as it was commercially? And I would add critically. I mean, the Mm -hmm. the worst Marvel movies are still competently made. There are very few... The worst Marvel movie, by the way, is the first Thor movie. I would say it's the second Thor movie, but whatever. No, oh, oh wait, yes, yeah, the second second Thor one, the dark. Yes, the dark world. World, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Dark yeah. world is worse. Um, but they're both pretty bad. They're, they're not great. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but that said, even those have some some virtues, and the really good Marvel movies are genuinely great movies. Whereas when you look at the DC universe so far, I think Man of Steel is actually underrated. I actually think it's an inter- it's an interesting Zack Snyder experiment, and Wonder Woman is a legitimately great superhero film. And Aquaman, as you say, has its has its goofy charms, but in no way is the DC universe worked out quite as well. I, I'm not entirely sure why that is, but I would argue that in some ways the the Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame hints at something, which is the one thing Marvel gets right is that you can have plot twists, you can have surprises. I don't think anyone expected Thanos to win at the end of Infinity War. That was a legitimately surprising thing. And this is the... To the extent that it builds on sort of Whedon, and there's a lot of problems with Joss Whedon personally, but as a storyteller, I think he's quite good. The one thing Whedon knows is that equation that you talked about, which is if there is going to be loss, there is going to have to be tremendous sacrifice to reverse that, um, mm-hmm. which is in some ways what Endgame is all about. And it, what makes the, it's what makes the final payoff of that film much better and much more emotionally resonant, frankly, than anything we see in the Snyder Cut. Snyder Cut is a fine film visually in some ways, but when, you know, the the superheroes win in the end, I, it just left me flat. I Actually, I, the one thing I liked about it was <laughs> literally the savagery with which they get rid of Steppenwolf. Like that one shot where, like, yeah. you know, Aquaman spears him, Superman kicks him, and then Wonder Woman beheads him. I'm like, that's darkly funny, actually, as far as I was concerned. But nonetheless, yeah. emotionally, no, didn't feel much. I also think that the Marvel heroes are more fully realized characters. Mm -hmm. And that started with Iron Man. Right. You know, and, and, you know, shout out Robert Downey Jr. He's a just, I think sometimes underrated as an actor, you know, like, and he does so well in that role. And I think sort of set a template for both the humor Mm -hmm. happening, but also being a good guy who's not necessarily a good person. Right. You know, and, 
I think that while in this movie, the heroes are given, you know, some heavy backstories. Seriously traumatic backstories, yeah. Seriously traumatic backstories. They're not really full people. Yeah. Like, we don't really get a sense of them. Like, one of the, it kind of bothered me. I mean, well, I came to, it's one of those things, repeat until funny, or at least, like, repeat until, you know, you're impressed. But, like, Victor slash Cyborg's, like, relentless sullenness, <laughs> I actually came to respect. Like, I was like, you do it. Like, you just, don't laugh. Don't laugh. Do not smile. Right. Just stay, you be you. You just be dour. You you do you, Cyborg. But that's, you know, obviously, like, it's also clearly a flaw. And I'll, you know what, that may be why I do feel like Aquaman kind of leaps off the screen in a way, not just because he's hot, like, because he's given a little more. And even though his literal role is smaller, Mm -hmm. like, he seems more like a person. Yes, you know. Yes, and I would add. By the way, this is also why. The, I mean, the the Flash also, I think, is is like that as well. Yes. There is I, one yes. of the things that legitimately surprised me, having watched the the Whedon cut and then this one, was that I was glad to see that to the extent that there is humor in this film, it is often provided by the Flash, and it yeah. was clear that Snyder intended that to be the case, and and he's always been the sort of Joker. As it were. And legitimately funny, yes. like, yeah. and and also sad. Yeah, it is. It really, really works. I would say the other character that almost comes as full 3D is Wonder Woman, mm. because she, she also seems sort of fully rounded, like a full range of emotions. Maybe I, this Wonder yeah. Woman is the one where, like, I think to the extent that the DC universe succeeded in like characters that you got to know over multiple movies, Wonder Woman is the one because yeah. you, you're first introduced her in Batman v Superman, but then she gets her own movie and you get to know, understand why she is the way she is. And then you, you can carry that shorthand into Justice League. And I think we are about done. Yeah. I will say we had talked about doing Wonder Woman 1984 for this <laughs> podcast. Probably not. No. I'm guessing. It is the one of the weaker. Uh... I, I should add that we talked about this in the context of movies we wanted to rip to shreds. And which, which, by the way, dear listener... If there is a movie that you would like us to rip to shreds, put it in the suggestion box or suggestion spreadsheet as the case may be. Wow, that'd be funny. The suggestion box. You <laughs> you have been near a suggestion box. I smell <laughs> it on you. Don't combine the three suggestion boxes before <laughs> the shitpost unity. Sorry. Anyway, so we're about done. This is always great fun. We owe a debt to you, dear listeners, even if you're not giving us any money. But of course, we would love it if you did. Um, Karen is the beneficiary of all of our cash so far. And she's earned Um, it. Maybe she's earned it. Maybe someday we'll have money to do other stuff Mm -hmm. with. But we just love doing this. So thank you. Um, If you do want to rate and review and tell friends, like... That would be awesome, too. We bumped three-body problem mm-hmm. to do this. So that means three-body problem will be next week. After that, Dan? We do Arrival with Amy Adams. And then Battlestar Galactica first gen or version <laughs> one, however you want to think about it. And then we have a cannon fodder episode for HP Lovecraft, which I am very much looking forward to. Dan, you have never really read HP. I it's, think it's, I've it's, read one short story of his. So this will be uh, my introduction to Lovecraft country. He is weirdly like was w- kind of an influential writer for me. Mm-hmm. Like I discovered Lovecraft as a kid. Oh, wow. And I think... 
I mean, I may I'll probably talk about this more when we actually talk about his work, but it made a huge impression on me in terms of like what what is scary. Interesting. You know, and I think maybe set me up for my lifelong love of Stephen King. Because <laughs> Stephen King has Stephen King was definitely influenced by him. In any case, we are winding down here. Do we have anything left to let people know about? Uh, if you are listening to this before April 3rd, that means you are a patron, which means you will be able to participate in our AMA. If you are hearing this after April 3rd, it's probably because you're not a patron. And why aren't you a patron? I mean, this is some good stuff and you can help contribute <laughs> further suggestions and, and patrons only episodes. So we would uh, welcome that. We will uh, be opening up uh, our spreadsheet to take a look at uh, various patron suggestions. And until then, keep this channel open for more. <laughs>